Greetings, mountain bikers. Welcome to episode five of the MTB Jumper podcast, featuring conversations with extraordinary riders, coaches, and industry leaders. We talk about downhill, free ride, dirt jumping, slope style, park and street. We get into skill development, bikes and gear, digging and building, strength and fitness, and much, much more. I'm your host, Norman Peterson. Thanks for tuning in. From Kentucky to Utah, Alaska to Guatemala, from cross-country, slope-style, and downhill, to standing on the podium next to Darren Bearclaw, to bikepacking and filmmaking, whatever you can imagine, Eric Porter has probably been there and done that. It took several weeks for Eric to work me into his intense schedule, but as they say, if you need something done, ask a busy person. For example, we had a technical glitch that didn't get caught until 20 minutes into this recording, and even after all that, Eric spent over an hour sharing the details of his rich, fascinating career with me and you. So here it is, my discussion with one of the hardest working, not to mention talented men in mountain biking, so, Eric, Porter. Eric Porter. Enjoy. Take two. <laughs> yeah. It's, I have to say I'm honored to have you on the show, uh, not only because of your riding skills, but also just how totally packed your schedule must be. I thought it might be interesting if you could give us a glimpse into uh into your life over the last few weeks just to give folks an idea of of what it's like yeah thanks for having me on the show um it has been a crazy uh crazy winter there's really not much of an off season these days um it used to be a lot more off season um maybe it's because it was contest schedule and that sort of thing too but um pretty much goes year round now. My last trip was in December and my first one was in February. And, um, uh, in between February and now as I was in, um, Santa Cruz a couple times, we were out testing, uh, suspension with Fox for the 2018 Diamondbacks, uh, which was exciting to get kind of custom tuned shocks on those bikes. And then yeah. I had a shoot in Moab then I had uh, I, sh I work with uh, Park City Mountain as well, um, shooting ski stuff. So we had a okay. had a number of those shoots, um, and then what else did I do? I went up to Bellingham for uh, riding with Vernon from Pink Bike. So we set him up with some brakes and went out riding up there, which that place is amazing and absolutely love Bellingham. And then yeah. stopped into the Diamondback office for a couple of days too. Um, and then let's see, I was just in Portland last week for a event with Camelback with REI where they kind of flew around all, flew out all their regional best salespeople. And I gave mm -hmm. a talk for them about, uh, my career and adventures and took them out riding for the day as well. Um, so that was fun. Um, awesome. yeah, just Saturday I was, uh, coaching with the high school league around here. Um, so they had a regional, all the kind of a leadership conference for the, um, for the Utah NICA high school league where they had, um, a couple of people from each team around the state come up and I gave them a kind of a skills clinic. Um, and that was exciting too, cause we didn't have high school racing leagues when I was in high school. It was, I was the only kid in my school that rode a mountain bike. So it's cool to help sure. support that. Um, what else? I went to Guatemala for a couple of weeks. Um, we, rode off the summit of a volcano. We saw another volcano erupting. We rode out to a lake and, um, man, just a pretty awesome adventure. Rode a gravity logic built bike park in the middle of the jungle on the side of a volcano. Um, wow. So it's, yeah, it's kind of hard <laughs> to believe that that's just been 
two months now, really. Um, and then in the middle of that as well, uh, balancing all the family life, um, all the stuff with my kids and skiing and snowboarding and trips with them. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I feel like I'm extremely busy all the time. And then when you kind of put it all down on paper, look at it on the calendar, you, I, I realize why I feel like that. Uh, oh yeah. I went to sea otter also. That was, that was fun. Um, good to see everyone out there too. And then I've also taken yeah. on, uh, um, a leadership role with the uh, Wasatch Trail Alliance, which is my local trail organization. Um, so it looks like I'll be taking on the vice president role there to help um, develop the trails in our area, get more funding, and uh, kind of build the trails that leave from my house um, and everyone else in this valley into what it you know should be and could be. Wow. Nice. <laughs> that's a lot man so it's a lot yeah you know it's uh and i always try to balance doing what i want to do and the things in my career um with the you know which now is the the big adventure trips and kind of producing these rad awesome videos that help inspire people to get out and adventure more and enjoy their bikes and their life um sure. balance that with um kind of the advocacy side and the education side for um up and coming riders, as well as working with, um, all of my sponsors like Diamondback and Magura and everyone else that, uh, with product development too. Um, so I can help make the products that we all ride better. Um, yeah. With testing and that sort of thing. Yeah. Wow, man, that's, that's a lot going on. Do you, do you use a, a, a scheduling manager or how, how do you, how do you juggle all that? I think I'm, I don't know, uh, honestly, I, I take notes <laughs> and I have question, my, huh? yeah, I have my calendars and, um, I think you have to be the type of person that's, uh, really good at kind of having a lot of stuff floating at the same time. Um, yeah. I, I don't have to, um, you know, finish one thing before I start another. I'm, I'm good at having a lot of projects happening at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think is... Uh, that's a unique skill set. <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of, you know, being ADD or ADHD. Um, but I've never <laughs> taken the medicine for it or anything like that. So it's mm-hmm. it allows you to kind of be <laughs> all over the place and still have mm-hmm. a, you know, focus on what needs to happen. And you're good at balancing lots of different things, you know. Sure. And... and- obviously you're also very good at focusing given your your skill set anybody who's seen you ride will know that you must have worked very hard to get where you are so um <laughs> that that's great the advantages of ADHD um <laughs> yeah look at Cam McCall he's uh you don't have to even know him to know that he's uh <laughs> you know he bounces off the walls a bit. Yeah, exactly. But it but it works for him. Uh, yeah, and so it's the same kind of thing where you have to you have to be able to um, channel it into you know. And for me, it's been able to channel it into bikes and um, doing things like this. So I've been really lucky to have that. Um, I mean, the hardest part of my job is all of the days that I have to be sitting at my computer at my desk, um, just organizing things and planning trips and planning, you know, this, this next trip I'm leaving on on Sunday is a three part trip to where I'm going. Um, 
I fly to Sedona, Arizona to ride with Magura, and then I fly from there straight to Pittsburgh for uh, Dirt Rag Festival, um, their big mm-hmm. camp out event. And then from there, I go straight to a bike packing trip with uh, the Sierra Club. So it's, um, you know, three pretty different trips all in one trip that I have to plan the logistics for, as well as plan kind of what media is coming out of that and also mm-hmm. what I need to pack for each one. So it's it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, you have a, you're married with two children, yes? Yes. And how do you balance all that with the family? I just uh, basically have to, at certain times, just stop working. And mm-hmm. then I can focus 100% on the family. Um, sure. So it's it's a little bit easier now because my kids are in school. So I have kind of the Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, um, or at least 9 to 3 a lot of the time. So I can kind of try to get my work done then, assuming that I'm not on the road. And then when the kids get out of school, I can ride with them, play with them, help them with homework, do that sort of thing. So it's, I can, and then I put them to bed and then I work from eight till midnight, a lot of nights. Um, so I gotcha. just do my best to balance it. Um, and my wife works full time as well. So it is, um, you know, she's kind of doing her thing as well. So it's, I, I don't have her to really help with the work side of things, but, um, but she does help a lot with the kids and everything else. So we, um, and I have to support her and her job as well so that we can both be successful in what we're doing. Wow. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> that you're yeah. I don't know to, how it works, but it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you found some balance. Wonderful. So let's, uh, let's talk about your beginnings as a, as a, in biking in general, um, two wheel sports, et cetera. Where, where did that start? So I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, which actually was a pretty great place to ride bikes. Um, there were trails through city parks um, right by my house and kind of all through town. And there mm-hmm. were races that were pretty close um, and a pretty good local race scene. Um, you know, I, I got to start in mountain biking when I was 12 and it was time to get my first kind of, you know, big kid bike or whatever from moving up from a 20 inch BMX and so I got a mountain bike, and lucky, luckily for me, there were trails, I think, a mile from my house, uh, mm-hmm. maybe even less to where I could just kind of ride through some neighborhoods, and then all of a sudden, I was riding on single track next to a river, and there were hills yeah, we could bomb, nice. and, you know, uh, we didn't know that we were mountain biking. We just <laughs> were having fun on our bikes, and then I think it was uh, picking up a mountain bike magazine at the grocery store, you know, one morning uh, with my parents, and you're kind of like, oh, this is a thing. Cool. And then, yeah, this is... you know, you start reading into it and you learn more about it. And, um, you know, it's funny. The people that that made those magazines are now people that I work with and, and friends, which is which is really cool. Yeah. When you when you pick up those magazines and realize that there's there's much better gear than you have. <laughs> yeah. I remember that, too, because it was kind of like, oh, I need, uh, you know, you're like, mom, dad, I, I really think I need hyperdrive drivetrain so i can <laughs> shift better and this and that and, and sure. you know you start talking and talking them into um you know saving up all your money and then can i combo you know christmas and my birthday to get a new bike and <laughs> you start figuring out everything you can until you know it's 15 and then i got a job at a bike shop and that kind of uh opened things up a lot more because then you can 
get a deal on bikes and then I could get rides to races with the, the older guys that, you know, were already racing every weekend. So I could kind of jump in there and learn the ropes from them. Cool. So when did you start racing? So I started racing when I was, um, 15, I think, um, I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't drive to the races at that point, but I caught a ride and, um, uh, John Mahorny who's a guy in Louisville that, uh, he would come into the bike shop and just got to be friends with them. And, um, yeah, talked him into taking me to a race. Um, and I loved it. It was, you know, hard, but also fun. And it really grew on me. So I just started riding with all the fast guys around town as much as I could hang with them and, um, going to every race that I could get to. Cool. And, and maybe give us a, a general overview of your, of your race career so far. Yeah. So I, uh, uh sorry, racing and racing in competition. Yeah. So I grew up racing, racing cross country and then in collegiate racing, um, I, they had solemn races as well. So I, uh, was racing cross country on Saturday and then solemn on Sunday and, that really kind of changed everything for me. And I realized pretty quickly that I liked the gravity side of things better than the, uh, cross country side. Cause I didn't have to, you know, train on a road bike just to be good at something. I could make up a lot with skills in solemn. So that was where I, uh, started to excel and then ended up winning collegiate national championships my last year, um, which was a huge boost. And then I, uh, mm-hmm raced the whole Norba circuit, um, all summer and, you know, lived in a minivan and drove to all the Norbas racing, uh, semi-pro, uh, downhill and Solemn at that point. Um, wasn't yeah. racing much cross country anymore after college and in between the races, instead of training, like I should have been doing, uh, to make it up to the pro ranks, uh, I was yeah. dirt jumping and riding street and, uh, chasing around uh, Aaron Chase and Jeff Lenoski and Kyle Ebbett. And through riding with those guys, I started filming with them and um, for the Chain Reaction series and uh, Chase's video series. And um, that was really what launched my actual career as a bike rider was shooting with those guys and um, then, you know, eventually making it into Slopestyle as Slopestyle was started in uh, 2003. Um Gotcha. Yeah, so then in slope style, um, started out on the podium at all the events and doing really well. Um, I remember just thinking how crazy it was that it was it was actually working and I was doing it. And I remember 2003, the first <laughs> Crankworks there was. It was called Joyride then. Um, and John mm-hmm. Cowan built the course and he was you know the guy in all the big free ride movies and you know yeah. they could flip anything. And there was a I think like a thirty something foot double at the end of the course. And, mm-hmm. uh, he was having trouble, uh, flipping it. And for whatever reason, it made sense to me to flip and, um, yeah, flipped it perfect in my run and ended up in second place nice. there behind bear claw. So it was a pretty wild wow. moment to be like, wow, you know, I'm on the podium with, you know, mountain bike <laughs> heroes and, uh, the best sure. in the world. So it was pretty surreal. Um, yeah. Yeah. How old would you have been then? Uh, 23, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably 23 awesome. or 24. So really a late start too for, you know, not many people make it at that age now. 
Right, right. Where did you meet Lenoski and Chase and those guys? I met them. Well, I actually met Lenoski first um, at some trials competitions around the Midwest. Um, oh, okay. And then through him, uh, met Aaron Chase and Kyle Ebbett and the rest of the crew uh, in between the Norbus. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to race, you know, I was racing semi pro in all the Norba Nationals. And uh-huh. in between the races, you had a whole week to, you know, drive from one spot to the next and then get ready for the race. So it was tons of time for dirt jumping and riding street and basically just road tripping around the country with a kind of a caravan of pretty fun people. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I mean, uh, so, and I know people are going to be wondering this because it's a topic that comes up a lot. How did you, how did you finance that, that? portion of your of your you know racing career racing competition career i worked hard um in college all through you know the spring summer or the the fall and the winter and the spring um mm-hmm. and just saved all my money and then we bought a um i bought a cheap minivan old you know pontiac montana and drove <laughs> around and then i took all the seats out of the back and had my bikes in one side and uh sleeping pad and a sleeping bag on the other side and um, yeah. yeah just live cheap i would you know eat ramen noodles and uh i'd you get a can of tuna for 29 cents and a box of mac and cheese for <laughs> about the same um and yep. <laughs> you know so you'd have pretty filling meals for for pretty cheap and you just kind of learn how to be a dirt bag and and you don't really care at the time because um sure. you know you're doing what you want to do and Maybe you're not totally comfortable or always full, but um, but you're going where you want to go and kind of chasing your dreams. So it doesn't really matter that much. And um, yeah. yeah, basically just saving money and then you know doing cash jobs on the side or temp work or whatever I could whenever I needed to um, mm-hmm. to make it happen. Gotcha. You know, to get to where I'm at right now, it was um, I I did the full slope style circuit for eight years. Um, yeah, traveling all around the world and doing that. And in between the events, um, I was also uh, filming with uh, Cranked and Chain Reaction and all the other um, a number of other kind of video series. And yeah. so in 2011, I actually when I got on with Diamondback in the spring, we were filming and. There was a 45-foot canyon gap that I had built um, a few years mm-hmm. earlier, and I always wanted to go back and tail whip it. So we went down, and this is in uh, southern Utah, and went back, <laughs> yeah. and I went to tail whip that thing, and I was going just a hair too fast, and I ended up flying about mm. 60 feet. I ditched my bike, and I landed on the ground, kind of just flat body, and mm. I didn't actually break anything, but... I think I partially collapsed along and even though I wasn't unconscious, I definitely had a pretty bad concussion that the symptoms kind of showed up in the weeks after um, the actual Mm -hmm. event because I never went to the hospital. I was, you know, thought I just got lucky and I made it out fine and I knew I'd hit my head pretty good, but I figured since I didn't have the immediate short-term memory loss and I wasn't unconscious that everything was fine. And, you know, this was... yeah. In 2011, it wasn't something that people were talking about like they are now either. Um, so you just kind of go on with your life. And um, 
but I couldn't compete anymore uh, because when I would, you know, I got back on the bike pretty quickly and I was, if I would do a 360 or a backflip or anything like that, I would get dizzy immediately. Um, so gotcha. that was a big sign that I shouldn't be doing those yet. Um, cause you really just don't <laughs> yeah. know how long a brain takes to heal. Um, so I put, I went full steam ahead with, um, filming on the trail bike and adventure trips and bike packing and that sort of thing, which to be honest was what I was missing from my life anyway at that point. And that's what I really wanted to be doing was I missed the time just out on the trail on a trail bike pedaling. Because uh, everything yeah. up to that point for the last eight years had been riding uh, downhill bikes and dirt jump bikes and just uh, getting after it as hard as I could doing, you know, more dangerous stuff. So I was uh, pretty excited to just uh, have fun on my bike and not not do as much kind of death defying stuff, if you will, you know. Um, sure. But still, you know, I've still done stuff every year that's on my dirt jump bike and downhill bike and doing all the tricks I've ever done. So, um, you know, as the concussion got better, I still wanted to make sure I'm doing all that fun stuff too, but with more of a focus on adventure trips now. Um, sure. So staying engaged in the sport, but, but, uh, doing the stuff that's more suited for you. Yeah. Just shifting towards, and like I said, it was, it was really a shift towards what I wanted to be doing anyway. Um, and it turns mm -hmm. out that that's what most people want to do on their bikes as well. Um, you know, the yeah. stuff I was doing, the crazy <laughs> stuff is awesome. Um, and it's people think it's cool, but they can never see themselves doing that. Whereas right. the stuff that I do now <laughs> is really inspiring to people to where, you know, they watch a video that I make and they say, man, that really makes me want to get out on my bike and go camping and go ride that cool trail wherever it is. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's actually been pretty cool to be inspiring more people now too. Yeah. Great. So, so when you say, when you say filming, are you, to what extent are you involved in, in, uh, the filmmaking? So I'm, um, technically I would be, uh, producing, um, most of okay. the stuff that I put out, um, to where I come up with a concept and then I hire some, whoever I, you know, whatever friends that. I like to work with for shooting it and I have someone else mm -hmm. film me doing things. Um, so, you know, we'll come up with a concept of, you know, like Guatemala, we were going to, um, just ride these awesome places. And it's, it's such a close place too. Um, that it's, uh, and Guatemala was Guatemala was just in the last six weeks or so. Yeah. That was in, uh, beginning of March. Yeah. So we had a couple online articles from it and then, uh, we're working on finishing up a, kind of a quick, fun, uh, travel video from it. Um, not as cool. much of a big message, but, um, mm -hmm. yeah. So basically producing it in that I'm riding in it, but I'm also, um, helping get the whole idea and concept and everything together and helping out with the, uh, editing and the placement of it, you know, when it does come out and where it goes and that sort of thing. So it's, um, again, gotcha. a lot more work than it looks like. Oh yeah. Incredible amount of work. And you're so prolific online. I mean, all anyone has to do is, um, is Google Eric Porter MTB because I think there's a musician, Eric Porter as well. <laughs> yeah. There's well, a, or, 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 there's somebody else. There's an old English actor. Um, 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, if you if you Google Eric Porter MTV, you'll get way more hits than you have time to watch, but uh, definitely watch because it's great stuff. Um, Thanks. Yeah, that's interesting. I, and I, I, you know, it's it's never really clear who's doing what in these videos, and I see stuff where you're, you know, the ridgeline stuff that you're writing and and is being shot and i I always wonder well did he sh- go out there with a drone by himself and <laughs> but you typically have a at least at least a one-person crew yes yeah so that one we went with a really uh tight crew so that was just myself and mason Mashan. um mm-hmm. and he's okay. super talented guy that i mean he's a pro level bike rider um as well as um top level photo and video um i think time magazine listed him as one of the top 10 snowboard photographers this year so he's wow um yeah pretty pretty amazing independent or is what's that is he a diamondback guy uh he actually is now um okay yeah so i um got him on board through you know it, it, it was just good to have someone else that's doing what i do that we work well together um and he can represent them as a rider and i can bring them on trips to film because it's actually uh, surprisingly hard to find someone who can shoot photos and video and keep up on the bike. Um, Right. So there's really just not that many people in the world that can do that. And yeah, yeah, Mason's (laughs) awesome. So um, yeah, so he, he did the Alaska pieces and yeah, the, the hut video that we did in Alaska, he hiked the whole thing. So while we rode, um, Kevin and I, he had a backpack with the drone on his front, on the front and a backpack with his full camera set up on his back and hiked, uh, hiked eight miles in eight miles out and filmed everything. So he's, um, yeah, pretty, pretty amazing guy to be able to do that. He's a machine. Yeah, for sure. And then the Ridgeline video too. He, uh, shot that whole thing. And funny enough, that was his first time. Uh, he's shot with the drone before, but he always had a drone pilot and then he was running the camera and they were working as a team. Um, sure. and for the, uh, for the Alaska one, he just ended up with his new drone right before the trip, as opposed to when it was supposed to come in like a month earlier. And so he was yeah. learning how to fly it as he was shooting on that trip. And I mean, everything turned out amazing. You wouldn't know. Um, but that's, you know, <laughs> that's why you bring a guy like that is because you can trust his work. And, um, yeah, so it was the two of us and, um, we spent a week at that Ridge zone getting rained out and laying in a tent all day while it rained and, uh, getting trucks stuck. It was, that was a mess. Um, and wow, we really thought we weren't going to get anything from that trip. And then the final morning it, uh, everything broke and the, it dried out just quick enough that it was just all time. Um, so we got really, really lucky. Yeah. It's a gorgeous, some gorgeous video on that. Really nice work. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, uh, and I will link that in show notes um, at mtvjumper.com. So let's see. Um, I'm curious about the progressive mountain biking scene in Utah. When did you show up in Utah? I moved here in 2006, I think, uh-huh. or and, five. And the 2005, how, I think. Yeah. Okay. And how far back does does that type of riding go in that area? Um, I mean, Utah was kind of one of the birthplaces of, uh, this type of riding Southern Utah with, you know, the stuff Bender's been doing for years. And, okay. um, so Utah's yeah, being a Seattle for, yeah. yeah, 
being a Western Washington guy, I, I like to think that it all started here and that nobody else was doing anything except for in BC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like to hear about Kentucky and Utah and stuff. I mean, obviously my knowledge of all this stuff is expanding, but anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, Southern Utah has been the kind of the, the other Mecca besides uh, BC and the North okay. shore. Um, uh-huh. And and those guys traveling down here too. Um, so we knew that I knew the desert stuff was amazing, which I'm three hours from, which is, uh, so I can get down there whenever I need to. But mm-hmm. the um, the scene around Park City and Salt Lake has always been a little bit under the radar um, compared to a lot of other places, even though there were, you know, guys like um, filming with the, uh, like, Double Down and uh, Jib and all those movies, like uh, Vaughn and Crispy and that crew is all from here. So they always, yeah. they had a scene. And then the BMX scene is absolutely legendary from here with Mike Aitken and Matt Berenger and Fuzzy Hall and Cam Wood and like a, a whole group of guys that uh, made this awesome BMX scene with the dirt jumps and street riding. So um, it's kind of a mix of a lot of different cyclists that live here that ride different things. And so it's cool because I've always been able to, you know, ride downhill and then go down to dirt jumps in Salt Lake and, um, go down to the desert in the winter if I want to. It's a, you know, pretty ideal, but still somewhat off the radar, really. Um, I mean, Park City is pretty well known now because they were one of the first, or they were the first Imba Gold Level Ride Center. Um, gotcha. So they kind of, and that's that rating comes from having a huge trail network of cross-country trails along with uh, bike parks and then public transportation. I mean, we can... We can ride a city bus for free to shuttle downhill trails in Park City. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Along with having two different bike parks um, that are at ski resorts and then a number of other like actually city-sponsored or paid-for bike parks. Like uh, Park City Dirt Jump Park is a city recreation facility (laughs) um, with, you know, full-size dirt jumps, which is so cool to have to be somewhere that supports it on that level. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. Amazing. I mean, I, yeah, I've, I've traveled to Utah for mountain biking and I know a lot of people that have, and it's a, it's a wonderful place to ride bikes. That's for sure. Yeah. It's super diverse. And, you know, I can go from a week ago, I was uh, over waist deep powder up high and I went snowmobiling and snowboarding and, you know, one of the deepest days of the season. And then that afternoon you come back into town and the trails are running from the house and the pump track and I can ride my bike and ride dirt. Um, wow. Yeah. And even in the middle of the winter when it's the worst part of the winter. And if you're just sick of it, you can drive down to St. George or to Moab hmm. and it's uh, warm and sunny and dry trails. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah. It sounds like a Mecca. Yeah, and one of the few places you can it's easy to travel from too. It's driving 12 hours to anywhere on the east coast or the west coast and then I mean mm-hmm. non-stop flights out of Salt Lake to anywhere in the world. <laughs> sure. That's um, great. So, yeah, works works pretty well for me. Yeah. So, I was watching a a movie from 2015. Do you have do you have a luge track in your yard? Yeah, um, I do actually. Uh, okay. It's actually an old water slide. Um, oh, okay. 
I was like, what the hell is that thing? I mean, it looked like fun, but. <laughs> yeah, it's super fun. It's like, uh, it's like riding a bobsled track on your bike. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I have a bunch of that in my backyard that's actually has a lot of history on its own. It comes from, uh, originally from Salt Air. So it's this, it was an old amusement park, um, out west of Salt Lake City, uh, on the Salt Lake. Okay. And then it ended up, that place closed down and somehow, Matt Berenger, the pro BMXer, ended up with it at his yard, mm. and he had a legendary backyard with uh, jumps and water slides and mini ramps and uh, all kinds of amazing stuff in his backyard, which was up in uh, north of Salt Lake, mm. and he ended up needing to sell his house, and um, he's in a new spot with uh, more awesome riding stuff now, but um, so when he sold that house, he needed to get rid of a lot of the slides and mm-hmm. called me up and so I borrowed my buddy who races trucks and we took a big flatbed trailer down there and loaded up as much as we could get on there. Um, so yeah, it's super fun to ride. And the number one question is, is, Oh, can you run water through it too? And slide on it, you know, like kids. And the answer is no for that. Um, it's definitely yeah. too, you know, kind of beat up and whatever, but, um, for riding bikes on it works awesome. It's like, you're just zipping around on it and, uh, carving around up on berms and, um, it's, yeah, it's pretty wild, pretty fun to ride. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I couldn't help but notice that. And I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. And, and I also couldn't help but notice in that movie that you've got, um, you got Kelly McGarry with you there. Yeah. So he, he would spend about, oh, I don't know, between one and two months, um, living with me each year in Utah here. Oh, um, wow. I had no, which idea. was awesome. And it was kind of his, um, American base camp basically. Sure. Um, so he would all the uh, he rode for most American companies, and you know, with customs and stuff, it was tough to um, for him to get his bike. So he'd have everything shipped here at the beginning of the year. So I'd always have a whole Kelly storage section um, <laughs> for all of his U.S. stuff, and he'd keep his van here. And um, yeah, so he was you know he was really a part of our family. Um, mm. So. It was, yeah, it's been hard on us, and we, you know, my kids still talk about him pretty much every day. And um, actually, my five-year-old, I asked him how he got to be so funny, um, and he said, "Oh, from Kelly." He's mm. like, "Kelly was silly, and he always made me laugh." So, um, yeah, it's uh, he, he was definitely a part of the family. I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, he. It's funny. He would even go to the bus stop every morning with the kids. Um, he'd wake up at seven thirty and walk with us to the bus stop to get the kids on the bus, you know, and nobody does that when they stay at a friend's house. Um, but that was just the kind of stuff that he liked to do, you know? Yeah. The stories about that guy are just never ending. Just, yeah. Yeah. That's really amazing. Somehow stories get into, you know, almost daily conversations to where, Oh, remember that time Kelly did this or said that or whatever. Cause yeah. Yeah, he was legendary when he was here. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't. Yeah. He didn't have to die to be legendary. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is funny. Okay, let's um, let's let's talk about bike packing. Yeah, tell me about that. Um, so, well, I grew up uh, backpacking, and I actually signed up for Boy Scouts uh, just so that I could go backpacking because the Boy Scout troop by my house growing up 
they went backpacking once a month um, to awesome places, and um, I wanted to do that. So uh, I grew up out in the woods and walking around with backpacks on, and I really missed it. But I didn't have time to go backpacking, and plus I was, you know, hiking can get boring when you know what it's like to ride a trail on a bike. Um, so it's a kind of a really good combination of everything that I wanted to do from growing up with what I do now. Um, and the other thing that's cool is the worst part about riding, going mountain biking is when you have to stop and, you know, when you go on big rides, being worried that you might get stuck out overnight or things like that. So sure. the cool thing with bikepacking is getting stuck out overnight is the plan. And yeah. so you just <laughs> grab everything you need for a week and you just take off riding and you get to ride all day long um, for however long your trip is, go wherever you want, stop when you want, check stuff out. And with gear these days, how light camping gear is and how good um, bikepacking bags are, you can actually shred your bike too. And, you know, you don't need a special super light 29 or hardtail or, you know, drop bar bike or whatever to go bikepacking. You can just do it on your normal trail bike. So most of my trips, I'm doing it on my Diamondback release, like a 130 rear, 150 front um, full-on shred machine. And wow, I'll just throw the – I use uh, the Revelate bags. They were kind of the first company making bikepacking bags. And okay. um, I throw – uh, the, the, it's a big seat bag and then a, there's a bar bag and then a couple of bags like on the top tube and you can carry, and then you put like a, just a slightly bigger camelback than normal. I use the, um, the hog quite a bit, um, cause it's like a 20 liter pack or their 14 yeah. which is like a 24 liter, I think. So just a, you know, not a backpacking pack, but like a big day pack basically. Mm-hmm. And you can climb everything you want to climb. You can, jump off of stuff you can jump wheelies you can or ride, pop wheelies off of things and just have a good time on your bike it's you're not really sacrificing much yeah cool and and, and you're going out for how long i like to go for a week um, wow five days is pretty good uh-huh. um if you get too much you can go seven or eight or ten days um with the same setup um, you don't really more days doesn't really add too much extra gear, just extra food and extra fuel for the stove, sure. mm-hmm. um, which isn't that much, you know, because you're using pretty lightweight, small, you know, dehydrated food and cliff bars and things like that. So food is pretty compact as well. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. And it, especially if you if you can plan it so that there's maybe day three you can or four you can have a food stash to where in the planning of the trip you dropped off you know maybe a a yeti cooler locked up somewhere in the woods or if you can plan it so that you you know end up in a town a few days in right you kind of get a nice treat as well and Mm -hmm. um, have an actual meal at a restaurant and a beer and stuff like that um, Mm -hmm. if it works out but yeah I, i absolutely love it um and there's nothing like that feeling of dropping in on the trip too. You know, it's, it's, it's a different feeling than pretty much anything else. It's like the, when you take off on the trail the first time, especially if you got dropped off or something like that, Yeah. you know that there's, you're in and your only <laughs> way out is to finish the trip. Sure. And that's just such a cool committing feeling that yeah. 
you're doing this no matter what, no matter what <laughs> happens and how it works out. You're going from point A to point B, and you're yeah. gonna have a bunch of good times. You're gonna have a lot of hard times, yeah. um, and struggles, but it, you know that's all what makes the the good times even better. Sure, it's a little miniature hero's journey every time. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I wish I could do more bikepacking trips without filming them because it it does take something away from it to you know have to stop and hike something again and to you know yeah. stop for photos and videos and stuff like that. But but also, it's, it's a cool way to show what I'm doing and um, and share it with everybody. Um, but I definitely definitely envy people that get to just go out on a trip um, without taking any pictures. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean it's real work. What is what you're saying? It's it's yeah, it's not it all, is. It's not all fun and games, except for the I would imagine rare times when you just get to go do it for yourself. Yeah, there's and there's even on the trips we're filming. Um, there's tons of times throughout those trips where, you know, we're all saying to each other, this, this is the best. This is amazing. I can't believe we're doing this. And, you know, we definitely don't take it for granted. And um, yeah. you're working hard while you're doing it, but you're also having an awesome time. Sure. Um, so it just, just does add in another layer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you can't go back and pick up shots either. You, you know, you're kind of running through a video timeline in your head. What do we need mm-hmm. to shoot? to tell this story without shooting anything we won't need to use because that wastes your time. And, you know, especially on a bikepacking trip, you, again, you have to make it from point A to point B mm-hmm. um, or you're going to run out of food or, you know, whatever else. So there's, um, you have to be uh, efficient with your, with your shooting. Yeah. Hmm. I have a lot of kind of big picture questions about about all of that stuff and about your your career in general. Um, I'll try to narrow it down to a couple of of kind of pointed things. Maybe the the biggest one is how how do you organize the the financial aspect of of let's say you're going to do a, a well really any given trip where you're going to spend a lot of time you're going to shoot video. I mean, people need to be paid. You need transportation paid for equipment etc does that just get distributed across sponsors or or does somebody step up and say hey we want you to do this big thing no it's usually it's it's all on me um but what i do is i'll come up with the trip sometimes diamondback or somebody else will say you know we'd like you to do you know a trip maybe about this bike or something so then i would need to come up with an idea that that fits the personality of the bike and kind of what we're looking for there. But sure. for the most part, it's just um, I, I first come up with an idea for what I want to do for the trip. And then I figure out kind of where it should go and how the um, what the story is and why it matters um, so that I can work with a media outlet for, you know, a magazine and that sort of thing. But um, then when it comes to funding, I will – approach my sponsors and see who wants to, I have some amount of travel budget from sponsors, but then I also, for something like this, uh, like a big trip, I would, uh, they would sponsor, like uh, put in money to the budget for that trip. So basically I would need to fundraise from the companies that I work with of who wants to be involved with this specific trip. And then from that, I have the budget that I pay my filmer and I buy tickets and, pay for the food and everything else. So, gotcha. um, yeah, basically run the whole budget myself. 
Okay. Okay. That that helps. That helps clarify a lot of things. Actually, um, it's just it's just really interesting to me how how all of that gets wrangled and and uh, and organized. It sounds like once again you're you're the organizer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's a, again it's a ton of work, and mm-hmm. I just try to think how can I outsource some amount of work, and it just comes back to I really can't. I just have to do it myself if I want it to happen, and and every yeah. trip's different too. Some trips. We can just do because um, they don't cost that much, and it's something that you know we feel really passionate about that we just need to get it done, and then mm-hmm. we'll figure out everything later for the funding or whatever. Um, and others are, you know, a long process of getting it all together. Um, so every trip's different. Sure, it's it's interesting to me that progressive mountain biking in particular has become. And I think action sports in general has be, have become about self promotion largely. Um, I, I don't see many people making it without being really good at getting the word out about themselves. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the parts that I hate about it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that many people really like talking about themselves that much all the time. Sure. Um, I yeah. know I don't, but yeah. Again, it's you know kind of what you have to do to to make it all work, um, yeah. especially with you know social media and everything else. And yeah, it's just kind of that's that is how it works. And and you know, there's a time and um, there's a time when uh, I mean, I guess it was kind of how it was earlier in uh, like in the early 2000s, where you would be um, things would be kind of done for you more. Um, and there were big video productions and they'd say, all right, you're coming along and we're doing this. And you'd say, cool. And then you show up and, and you do it, but it's shifted from, you know, a few big kind of media production companies and the magazines and everyone else being kind of the big dogs running the show, mm-hmm. uh, to now it's more of, I guess the athletes kind of doing, what they want to do and then working with the magazines to figure out, you know, where something runs or, you know, working with the, yeah, it is, it's weird how, how things have kind of shifted. Um, yeah. It seems, it seems to me that the, works. Yeah. It seems to me that the industry is still kind of figuring out where, you know, where, where the money is in, um, in the sport. It's obviously not in, in huge contracts like a, like a, like a basketball player. Um, and and uh, I mean I don't know the ex- you know the exact ins and outs and how much specialized people pull down or trek people or whatever but uh, but I see uh, what I notice is that people like you who are out working really hard to make sure that their name gets out there and that their that their their hard work gets out there um, seem to to float float to the top I mean even consider you know Brandon Seminock. Right, uh, life behind bars. That must have been a lot of work, <laughs> right? Yeah, everything. Yeah, it's because you know he's at a level that he could just probably wait for people to tell him to do stuff, and he'd be just fine. But he's chosen to, um, you know, create his own production companies and to do his own series and to do his own stuff, um, which is pretty cool, and just shows how hard of a worker he is. Um, yeah, and. You know, that's why all his videos are so unique and the stuff he's doing with Rupert, um, with their company yeah. there and Revel and um it's yeah, it's really cool to see all the stuff that he's been doing with that and making it happen himself. 
and you know Bearclaw and Chase and McCall and like like you said everybody that's everybody that's around and making a living riding their bike you know is is really making it happen themselves it's <clears throat> and working their ass off for it it's fascinating to me um as a kind of student of business and someone someone who loves you know the business concepts and stuff it's it's really interesting and and just the it's interesting that the that first of all you had to work so hard to get to where you're at with your skill set right and and i know it's not all work it's like yeah it's actually a lot of fun to go out and get better at writing but but then but then to couple that with um with actually making a career work in the industry is really incredible i'm i'm um i'm both in awe and envious <laughs> yeah, as i think you. As, um, I, as i think a lot of people are so <laughs> yeah totally um you know it's it is crazy that this has been 15 years of a full-time job um which i never wow. would have thought i'd do any job for 15 years much less uh my dream job yeah um and there's no you know foreseeable into it in the future as long as i keep uh, stay healthy and keep working hard um that i you know i've got tons of ideas still and um a lot to offer still and um great relationships with everyone that i work with and with the media so it's it's been amazing um and yeah never would have thought that it would still be working you know yeah yeah and the industry is obviously growing and expanding substantially in the last few years i was uh i was just talking with the guys at northwest cup we were talking about the under 10 or i think under 12 category in their race series has exploded they have more young riders than they've ever had um, and it's because of the gear is available now right for little yeah guys. that's awesome so, yeah, I think mountain biking as a whole is in a huge growth phase right now. And, you know, you read the bicycle retailer or whatever, and things are down here and there, and shops are closing and stuff like that. You, you know, there's the depressing side of things that you read. But I think it's um, we're, seeing, we're seeing all the signs of a huge boom that's kind of beginning um, for mountain biking as a whole to where, first of all, it's mountain biking is cool um, to the outside world for the first time in a while it's always you know historically it's been kind of a sport that's not really an extreme sport it's not it's just hasn't been that cool to the outside world you sure. know they've always thought of it as spandex and whatever they think you know neon or i don't know um roadies on trails yeah and you know like uh just in the salt lake area all of the pro snowboarders and the pro skateboarders and you know your typical cool guys um, moto guys, they all have mountain bikes now, you know, all the supercross racers, they all ride mountain bikes outside of supercross. And mm -hmm. so it's something that all of the, you know, quote unquote, cool guys in the action sports world are now backing mountain bikes and think that mountain biking is rad. And, you know, you've seen it with, you know, Sal Masakela from the, um, X games announcer, he's announcing Crankworks now, and you've got Pastrana and all these guys that um, yep. are big name action sports guys, they're all like, yep, mountain biking's awesome. And it's so I think when those guys back it, that's the kind of like the um, like a good sign for things in the future. Um, that if those guys are saying it cool, it's cool, then there's a whole group of people that are going to be like, oh, I guess it's cool. 
Um, (laughs) so I think it's going to continue to grow quite a bit and bikes are better than they've ever been. Even affordable bikes are better than they've ever been. Sure. Um, so you can get into it for, for less money and have a, a decent bike that you can go ride a bike park or whatever. Um, go shuttle a trail and go have a good time out in the woods and, you know, and, and adventure in general and being outdoors somehow became cool. It's like, you know, doesn't make sense to us because we've been doing it our whole lives. Right. But all of a sudden, I don't, I possibly, uh, partially because of Instagram and, um, social media being outside and camping and, um, being out in the woods is a cool thing to do now where, yeah, the people that are doing that, they came from maybe hanging out in the city or going to music. I don't know. But a lot more people in general, just your general population, think it's cool to be outside, which yeah. is awesome for everybody because then that helps with uh, you know protecting our public lands. And the more people that use them, the more people want them protected. So it's, I think it's good as a whole. And um, kind of again, mountain biking, I think, is just going to keep growing. With the kids, I mean, yeah, kids' bikes are awesome now, and I'm in Park City, so it's probably a a little bit different than some places. But like you said, the, the sheer amount of kids riding is unbelievable. Um, they're riding actual mountain bikes and trails, and same thing in Whistler. You know, when you go to the bike park in the summer, there's just all these kids on twenty inch, twenty four inch, just all over the place. Yeah, uh, yeah, and all that to say that. Uh... Uh, there's always going to be a place for for people with with skills like yours, you know. I mean, whether you're riding at the highest levels or not, I, I don't I don't think the industry is going anywhere. So, at least not in our lifetimes. Um, moving on a bit, I, I wonder if you could if we can talk about skill development. Uh, just 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 maybe touch on on some suggestions if you have any for for anyone who's just getting into more progressive riding. I know some of the things that people struggle with are, you know, the basic, basic stuff, little things like manuals or wheelies or bunny hops or, um, bike control, essentially. If you have any suggestions for new people. Yeah. Um, well, all that stuff kind of all works together. Um, Mm -hmm. from, you know, uh, like lifting your front wheel up, to get it up a curb, that's basically the beginning of a manual because you're lifting sure. your front wheel. And then when you, as soon as your front wheel is up, you're lifting up your back wheel to get it up there. Mm-hmm. And that's the building blocks of a bunny hop. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a, you know, everything builds on it on the next thing. So, you know, next thing you know, you're bunny hopping up that curb and then, yeah. you know, you want to start getting up bigger stuff. So you're leaning back a little more and getting your front wheel up a little bit higher to get over, you know, the next log on the trail or whatever. And then that's kind of leading into, you know, maybe manualing through rollers on a pump track. Um, so it really, I think people get too focused on this high level thing. Like I want to learn how to manual without maybe spending enough time on the building blocks to that. And really it just takes a ton of time too, you know, with, uh, manualing your, I think that took me, who knows, like just trying it, riding wheelies to and from classes and picking up my front wheel and just trying to learn how to manual, you know, riding down the sidewalk, even riding from one place to another. And Wait, you um, weren't, you weren't born with a perfect manual? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, years. I, I remember high school racing cross country, learning how to ride wheelies. It was, you know, I was clipped in at the time because uh, yeah. I was racing and you just, no one rode flats for cross country then. Sure, sure. And um, so I remember landing flat on my back a couple times. I think uh-huh. once in a asphalt parking lot and a couple times in grass um, just because, you know, you loop out clipped in and brakes sucked then so mm, yep um and I, I remember when i worked at the bike shop i had a rule that every bike that i built to sell in the store i had to ride it we had an alley that we'd test all the bikes out mm-hmm. um after you built them to make sure that they're you know built right and everything works right and my rule is to ride a wheelie down the block on the every bike that i built um, <laughs> so it's kind of like you get through doing that and just you know, dumb stuff like that and messing around, you learn how to ride uh, wheelies really well. Cause you can wheelie any bike at that point. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, it's, you know, people say I can't wheelie and you're like, well, how much time did you put into it? Cause it took me years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and even like, uh, like learning tail whips, which is, um, still probably my favorite trick. It's that took me two years to learn. Wow. Crashing all the time and going to Woodward and, um, practicing there and mulch jumps and like, it was a two year long miserable process, um, mm. of, you know, and then you get it to where you're landing like one foot on, um, and, uh, you know, that phase lasts for another few months to where you're catching it with one foot, but, um, then you're still like stomping a foot on the landing. And so, yeah, everything, everything just takes time. And, there's a few people like Paul Basagoidia. He learned tail whips in uh, uh, two weeks. You know, he's like it just. But he is one of those extremely naturally talented people that. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, he's walking again now. He's not back to where he was, but he's just so mentally strong and can make his body do what his mind tells it to do. That and he's worked so hard that. Um, yeah, he's just one of those guys that can kind of accomplish anything you know and i mean you could he would show up to all the slope styles and he'd do like two practice runs maybe three or something and not do any tricks and then he would put down the winning run in the contest and do all of his tricks in his run perfect wow um so some people just have that natural talent um and those people are few and far between yeah exactly and then you get you know the few that have that level of natural talent like Paul and like Brandon, um, and they have the work ethic because there's, you know, a number of riders that have that natural talent, but then things come so easy to them that they don't work that hard because they've never had to. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, I think most, I think most people that are, I think probably most, uh, most of the people that are riding bikes professionally are the, you know, have a decent amount of natural talent anyway, Mm -hmm. but then, work harder than anybody else and just don't give up because mm-hmm. I mean, I remember in high school and college, there were, there were always guys on the teams and racing that were better than me. They were faster than me. They could learn stuff easier than me. Um, but at some point they, you know, are doing something else or get into something else. And, um, for whatever reason. And I think it's, you know, for those riders that are up and coming, I think it's really just working really hard and, being there sure putting in the hours yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. I think about that a lot, actually. You know, it's like if I can get 10 minutes to go out and, you know, practice whatever, bunny hops or, you know, little street tricks and stuff like that, um, I, tr- I try to squeeze it in. Even if it's just a few minutes, it can it can make a difference on the next ride and just in the skill development in general. And I'm an older rider l- learning a lot of new stuff, so so it's especially hard for me, but... But I, I recognize that it's it really is about consistency, repetition, hard work, you know, failing, starting over. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah, it makes a huge difference just trying it, you know. Mm-hmm. Again, people that say, I can't wheelie or I can't bunny hop. Well, how often do you try? Yeah. And they say, never. Well, <laughs> that's why you can't do it, you know. Yeah, I, I never try. Be- yeah, I never try because I can't. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait a minute. And so – you know, that's why I say just every time you're on the bike, if you're riding, you know, to work or to school with your kid or if you're riding to, you know, if you're just riding on a trail and there's a flat section of trail, cover your brake, you know, keep your finger on your back brake and lean back and pop up a wheelie and just do it all the time. Yeah. Just keep on trying. And, you know, when you see a log maybe try to bunny hop it and practice uh, doing that. You know, um, there's just, there's tons of opportunities that aren't going out and training or going out and trying to, I mean, it's, that's the best way to do it is actually say, yeah, I'm going to go out for 30 minutes and work on bunny hops and just put a log uh, in your driveway or something or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, bunny hop over a two by four first, um, just to give you something to do, but you can, any, any of those skills that you want to do, you can just work on them. And I mean, I'm always working on everything with riding. I even, every time I'm riding, I remind myself, okay, break before the corner so that you can go around a corner with no brakes on and have better traction and come out with more speed. There's, you never stop learning and getting better. Um, and there's, you know, always, you know, now I'm, you know, trying to manual around corners on trails and see how long I can manual down a piece of single track or you know Hmm. seeing a rock on the side of the trail and seeing if i can bunny hop over it or off of it or you know nose bonk this or that you know i'm just always playing around on the trail and trying to become a better rider um Uh just through having fun so it's you know kind of a lifelong learning type of situation where you're not well i'm this good and so i'm just gonna ride now and Hmm. not challenge myself anymore sure Maybe some people will, and that's fine too, as long as they're having fun. It's not, you don't have to, but I think it's fun to always grow and progress and, you know, try hard things and and get better at them. Yeah. And, and watching your, uh, watching your writing, I can see the, I can see those, uh, little glimpses of, of the street trials and, and stuff like that, um, in there where you're, you're definitely doing, doing a lot of playful stuff that, that that you might not have other people might not have done if they weren't you know hadn't been doing that stuff with with Lenoski and those guys yeah it's a, cool. it's a fun background to have and apply it to riding in the mountains yeah yeah it shows man <laughs> thanks <laughs> definitely uh what what have you got coming up uh let's see coming up i'm heading out to um a press camp with magura in sedona next week uh, which I'm excited about because I haven't been to Sedona in a couple of years. And that place mm-hmm. is amazing. And mm-hmm. then from there, I'm heading to Dirt Rag Fest um, out in Pennsylvania. And nice. I've never been to that as well. So um, that's a, a fun weekend of camping and riding and uh, meeting a lot of 
cool people. And then from that, I'm leading a bikepacking trip for the Sierra Club, which is actually a first for them. Um, oh, wow. The Sierra Club hasn't really worked with mountain bikes and vice versa. Um, <laughs> and I think it's, you know, we see eye to eye on a large percentage of issues. Um, yeah. And I feel like we're at a point politically where we really have to fight hard and work together to protect our public lands and the trails that we like and the, you know, just keep the wild places wild. And there's no one doing more for that in general than Sierra club. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a huge group of people that are really working to protect, uh, our public lands. So I'm going to do what I can to help, you know, maybe soften them up a little bit towards mountain bikers. And, um, I think bikepacking is the best avenue for that because it's something they can relate to. It's not, Red Bull Rampage. It's not bike park. It's going out in the woods, you know, for a week or whatever. Um, It's the same thing they do hiking. It just happens to be on a bike. And so I think it's a lot more relatable. And I think it kind of humanizes and personalizes mountain bikers um, to a lot of the Sierra Club groups, which is, which will be good. Um, And it's also through this trip is through their veteran outreach program as well. So we'll be doing it with army and kind of that, uh, any of the veterans, um, of the armed forces. Mm-hmm. I've been saying for years that mountain bikers and, and, um, conservationists needed to get together because we're all fighting the same battle. But the thing is the difference between you and me is I never did anything about it. <laughs> so I'm glad to hear that somebody has, uh, has connected those dots because they need us and we need them. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, that's the other mm-hmm. part. They, they do need, uh, more membership and more, uh, people supporting their cause. And again, you know, there's, you got the STC on our side that's, um, fighting to get into wilderness, which, um, I I'm have mixed feelings about, you know, like I, I think it should be on the table when, you know, I, I hate seeing places like Boulder white clouds disappear and, um, mm-hmm. places that are mountain bike spots that are taken care of by mountain bikers. Um, and that one was a special case where it was kind of the rug was pulled out from under the negotiations, um, unfortunately, but, you know, I just, I think that in general we can work together more, um, I don't want to open up wilderness as a whole, but I think it should be on the table to talk about as Absolutely. we're protecting our public lands. You know, is this a, to have that conversation, is this a spot that's good for, you know, wilderness, which is very limited access, or should we have more people there and be able to ride bikes? And anyway, I just want to open up the conversation as much as I can uh, between the two groups. Yeah. And, you know, you're never going to agree with everything, but um, we can all agree that you know, on a lot of stuff, I think. Yeah. And for anybody who's, who's kind of um, listening right now and going, Oh geez, they're talking about politics or whatever. Look, if, if there's a place that you're riding your bike, it's because some politics happened. And if it didn't, that means it's not sanctioned and it will go away. It's not a question of if it's a question of when. So understanding this political stuff and the fact that we need to work with with municipalities and states and the federal government and each other, this is crucial stuff at every single level. It doesn't matter if it's a jump, you know, in the woods down the street from you that nobody knows about or if it's a massive bike park. It's, you know, the reality is that we need to work together to keep this stuff happening. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that people like you are, are hard at it. 
Yeah, it's and awesome, it's a tough man. one. You know, you get the thing is, is you get um, in any sort of politics, you get people that are um, so kind of fundamentalist as far as all or nothing for what they want. Mm-hmm. And sure, I think it's good to support uh, a number of different causes. You can't, as a mountain biker, only support the STC because they only have one mission, and that's to open the conversation for bikes in wilderness. Um, and that mm-hmm. is a, an extremely, it's awesome, uh, terrain that, you know, some of it should be open to riding probably. And some of it shouldn't as well. Um, but the thing is, is that it's so narrowly focused that, um, I think you also have to support Imba because of what they're doing for all these local Absolutely. places everywhere. And they're the only people that have, I mean, they have lobbyists in Washington fighting for mountain biking as a whole regardless of where you want mm-hmm. to ride your bike. Um, so it's, yep. and then Sierra club as well, because you know, they're going to protect a lot of land that won't get protected otherwise. So it's, you can't, I think people just get too caught up in their own little bubble and don't think about the big picture of, like you said, how trails in general happen and how much work goes into it. And, you know, I'm learning about that more becoming a part of my local trail organization of, you know, we want to put a trail here to here. Okay, well, we have to work with the state park and the Forest Service, and we have to get a federal grant to get money to build that trail. You know, <laughs> yeah. how is that going to, you know, it happens in some sp- some places where trails get built illegally, illegally and then they get adopted. And that's that's cool, too. That's awesome that it's happening. But it doesn't always happen mm-hmm. that way, and most of it is through years of planning and you know, all all these people that uh, complain on the internet about this or that or whatever, if they would just spend a little bit of time to become involved in their local trail organization and realize how things work, then yeah. I think a lot more can be done and we have a bigger voice as a whole. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. I'm glad you're out there working on that. Um so okay, uh, now now I actually will let you go, and and I really appreciate your your persistence with um with making this interview happen. Uh, it took us a while, but um, yeah, sorry, but that was tough, and I, I felt bad. I I was thinking about it the whole time, but <laughs> oh man, I just can't sure. do it this week. Can't do it this week, and then I'm like, all right, I'm right. going to do it this week because then I leave on Sunday for two weeks, and then into something else right after that. So it's uh, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I mentioned I ran into TJ uh, uh, Trotter, right? Trotter, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, just talking to him uh, in general about the this um, you know the MTV Jumper podcast, and he, and he says you should you should interview Eric Porter. <laughs> I, said, I said I'm trying, man. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's funny. So anyway. Thanks again. Uh, this has been great, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Maybe next time we can do it in person. I'll try to keep track of where you're at and sneak in somewhere with my gear, and <laughs> maybe we can sit down. And... Yeah, that sounds awesome. Once again, thanks to Eric Porter for sharing his story. Best of luck to you and all your travels, Eric, and I'm looking forward to catching up again soon. Okay, a couple items of business. I do need some help with iTunes, uh, people. Please head over to your iTunes account and give me five stars. It would make a huge difference over time in getting distribution for the show. More people will hear it that way, and then I can keep doing it. So thank you, and thank you for to anyone who has already done that. Much appreciated. Let's see, facebook.com slash mtvjumperpodcast. 
hit the share button on on the episodes you love, and like the page. That's also really helpful. We want people to see it, and that's one of the best ways to get that done. Instagram. I'm at MTB Jumper Podcast on Instagram. Also, my contact page is at mtbjumper.com slash contact. Do you know an athlete, coach, or industry leader that you would like to hear interviewed? Go ahead and send me that information at mtbjumper.com slash contact. I'm going to be giving away T-shirts, parts, and stickers. All cool stuff coming up soon. Head to mtbjumper.com slash, well, slash Eric Porter, for example, you'll find this episode and you'll see the email form to the right there. Enter your email address. You'll get new episodes as they come out weekly. Plus, you'll be entered into giveaways for all kinds of cool stuff coming up soon. Next week, I've got talented rider and the owner of the legendary bike shop, Go Huck Yourself Bikes in Renton, Washington, A.J. Johnson. Don't miss it. That's next Thursday. We had a lot of fun recording it. I think you're going to love it. All right, folks. Thanks again for listening. See you next week. In the meantime, make time to go ride that bike. Mm -hmm.